All right, welcome back to episode 24, Sports Talk for Fans by Fans. Brian here. I got Alex with me. How you doing, Alex? Doing fine, man. This has got a little, a little couple of weeks left for training camp, and then we're in the home stretch right now, buddy. No, yeah, man, can't wait. Uh, quickly before we get into that talk, just a reminder on the Facebook page, we've got a page and a group. Uh, the group is where we post a lot of the stuff for you guys to kind of debate and have conversations with us and other fans. Drive some of the conversation on here. Uh, the page is kind of just more big, big picture, uh, pushing stuff out to everyone to, to be able to see what we're doing. But the group's more for the interaction side. So please join both of them, Sports Talk for Fans by Fans. You can find that on the Facebook page, uh, also on Twitter. Uh, and let's just get right into this. So Alex, I think we have about 70 days until season starts. Uh, first day of football, September 9th. We have your Cowboys. Visiting the Tampa Bay Bucks, defending Super Bowl champions on Thursday night football. So we get to watch uh, America's former team, watch how Dak has progressed, and I don't know, maybe even see if he's mentally improved. Um, not saying he's had any issues, but you know, some people that take some time away from the game, they get to study the game better. So maybe you know, maybe there's things that he's improved on, you know, even without playing. But how do you feel as a Cowboys fan, Alex, going into that as your first game going into Tampa? Uh, being "quote unquote" America's team, allegedly, uh, how do you feel about that as a first game to open the year? You know, at first, um, sound sound like okay, yeah, that's just a chalk up as an L. But I think if you're gonna get like a team like that, week one's the, the week to do it. Like week one, people are still trying to figure themselves out. They got different personnel. They kind of don't know a couple of different things. Uh, I know they brought that majority of their team, but still, with that, you got that Super Bowl hangover. If we're going to get them guys, we're going to get them week one. That I'd feel a lot better if it was week one than I would week eight or week nine. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And you saw, like, after a bye week for the the Bucks last year, it, it all clicked. Tom Brady with his, his alleged speeches that they had, how they're going to win the Super Bowl and it's all going to come together. And, yeah, you got to get it. Even, even though they bring back all their starters, if you're going to beat the Bucs, you're, you're 100% right, I think. Um, week one, it's only three preseason games. So, you know, it's still, Tom Brady's still, I guess you could say learning his team in a way. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, I definitely can't wait. Uh, very excited to watch that first game of the year, the Cowboys Bucks. So getting into this, what we're going to do for everyone is what we're going to break down is we have about, uh, I think what 70 days going into before the season starts, what we're going to do is we're gonna, every week, we're going to try to break down a different uh, division. So for this week, we're going to break down the AFC South. We're going to talk about how they did last year, the offseason, uh, and how we think we're going to do next year with uh, some basic information and stats we pulled. Before getting into it, we did poll everyone, asked them how they thought the, the, who would win the division. Um, you know, We had one guy with that Jacksonville putting $50 down, which I, I full-blown applaud him. That's amazing. I would love to see that happen. Um, but everyone picked the Titans, Alex. I think everyone except for you and me pick the Titans, so that I, I, maybe a couple others pick the Colts too, but uh, that, that was interesting to see that everyone was so high on the Titans, and maybe that was tied to what, Julio Jones, do you think? I think it's also tied to Wentz. I think it depends on what do you think Wentz has got left. Uh, it, it just, that's, I think that's more about the Wentz thing. The Colts is a ready-made team. If you think Wentz is good, I think pretty much you'd probably link towards the Colts, but I mean, the Titans have got the sexy players. They got the, probably the best running back in the game, Henry. 
They got probably one of the better wide receivers and and the young wide receivers in AJ Brown, Julio Jones. So they they got some sex appeal to them. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, and we'll get into all that in a little bit, you know, can't wait to talk about, you know, the Titans and Colts and why, and kind of just break down what we think. And obviously, you know, it's not going to be always right, but we can at least give you the insider information that we pulled out for everyone. Uh, Last year, uh, if you guys, you know, forgot, unless you're obviously a team of the, Fan of the team, maybe did forget where everyone finished. But last year, the Titans were 11 and 5. They're winning the division with a tiebreaker over the Colts, who were also 11 and 5. And then we had Jacksonville at 4 and 12. Or I'm sorry, the Texans at 4 and 12, and then Jacksonville at 1 and 15. Uh, the Titans and the Colts, those were the two that obviously were competing for the division. And kind of the thing with them is they, you know, against how, how did they fare against playoff teams? The Titans were 4 and 4 against playoff teams. I think the Colts were in 3 or 4, and they both got eliminated in the first round. Titans by 7 to the Ravens, and the Colts by 3 to the Bills. So, um, you know, definitely a lot to improve on for those two teams. They do want to take the next step, and I think they, they can probably do that, but we'll get into that in a second. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this down from worst team to best team from last year. So we're going to start with Jacksonville first, Alex. So Jacksonville, like I said, they had a 115 record. We're going to break down everything that they did for the offseason. Uh, the one thing that stood out the most that they had to improve on is the points allowed last year. They allowed 492 points. That defense was not good by any means. Um, you know, obviously the big thing, you know, they lost Jalen Ramsey uh, a little while ago, but you know, it, it's just completely falling apart. So they have a lot of holes on defense. That's where the turnaround is going to start. So with the offseason, I think that one of the first big additions that happened for them was the hiring of Urban Meyer. Alex, we've seen college coaches before. Doesn't really always pan out. Um, you know, we've seen like Chip Kelly make that jump. Uh, Nick Saban make the jump and a couple others have been more successful, but what do you think about Urban Meyer? Do you think he, he has what it takes to turn it around and be successful at the NFL level? That's the million dollar question. The thing about it is Urban Meyer has succeeded in every single stop he's gone. Every single stop he's went with these office coordinator or head coach, he's succeeded. The only knock on him is generally when he goes there, he doesn't stay there that long. Um, sometimes it's been quote health. Sometimes been other different uh, circumstances. Um, that's going to be the big question because um, college coaches, uh, I hate that they all get a bad rap. There are college coaches that make it in the NFL and do very well in the NFL. The problem is during like Urban Meyer's situation, you get the worst roster in the NFL and you have to find some way somehow to get a bunch of talent in three or four years and turn it around. So he might be the person there to do all the hard work. I don't know if he's going to be the, the long-term thing, but uh, he he's a very good coach. The thing about it is, is can you t- can a college coach you used to talking to 18, 19 year olds are going to talk to grown men the, the different way or the same way? I mean, you talk about 27, 28 year old guys who got kids, got wives, got their own kind of brands. Now you got to come in there and now you got to be kind of the, the taskmaster and you got to get these guys in shape. That's going to be the big question. I think the good thing about uh, over my right now is this is probably the right time for a college successful college coach coming to the NFL. I think in the past, it's been very rigid with how you have to do things. You know, when we were growing up watching ball, it was a lot of, uh, you know, no spread formations, fullback was a big part of the offense. Uh, now Urban Meyer is coming into the NFL where they've already established a lot of these college things, you know, spread offenses, read options, having a mobile quarterback, fullbacks essentially eliminated, having flexibility with, you're running back, playing the wide receiver position, stuff like that. So I, I think if there's a time for him to succeed, uh, granted what you just said is 100% true, that roster is a huge, massive turnaround. You know, 
style coaching style wise, I think maybe this is the best time that he actually has a chance to do that. So first getting into it, what are the big additions for the draft? So Alex, I, I think the obvious one is Trevor Lawrence uh, being compared to Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was that generational talent that came around. He took a two and 14 Colts team to the playoffs his first year. I think they went like 11 to five. Um, so, you know, I think it's a little different because that Colts team was successful previously. They had Payne Manning uh, when it was in, in, in change. Trevor Lawrence is not coming to that kind of situation. He's coming into a, a team that ha has a lot of holes to fill. So I think obviously Trevor Lawrence is the easy one. Uh, and at the end, uh, running back from Clemson, uh, have you been seeing on the news on him with way, where they've been using him, Alex, in the, in the camp? Um, I've kind of, I've heard, heard a little bit, but you can't take that with a grain of salt. Heard a lot of him coming out the backfield, motioning to being wide receiver. Heard little things like that, but you know, it could just be a plan for the media to kind of help people out, maybe make people stay a little bit long, uh, harder for that. Um, but I mean, they they run that kind of system, so that makes a lot of, does may actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, uh, is there any other draft picks that you see that are going to have a major impact outside those two? Right there, I think there's a couple others that may have some, but I don't think there will be like those two. Do you are you tracking anyone else? You know what? Looking at their draft, it's it's fairly interesting because there's a lot of players that you know that I'm not as high on that they drafted, but you kind of second guess yourself and second think to yourself, maybe this might have work out. Like Andre Cisco, he was a pick machine in college at safety. But he gave up a lot of plays in college. He was he got burned a lot. But Urban Meyer's thing is kind of secondary in defensive line. If you can somehow discipline this guy to make him where he's good enough to kind of not get burnt like that, you might have yourself a, like a ball hawk of safety. Um, but the thing about it, it's only going to be on Urban Meyer. Um, can he? What can he get from this young class? And we talk about him being a college guy. Um, most of their team is one or two year rookies. Um, if he drafts a lot of rookies, a lot of young guys, it'll be a lot easier for him to talk to them than it would be talk to one of the more veteran guys. So I think he, you know, a lot of these guys he's probably scouted before or even looked at when he was working under college football. So I mean, there's 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 some guys out here, but it's going to be about Jacksonville. Can they develop these players? Can they be some? Yeah, and they've had some draft picks like. Uh that maybe haven't really panned out very well yet. So that's a big development, a big step on the developing these players that are already in draft. That's kind of the unfortunate part for him. You know, he's got to help develop and, and keep making sure that they push forward because you can't just drop a guy after year one that you draft in the first round. Well, you shouldn't. Like Chase on, for example, um, terribly graded, and you're just going to hope that potential plays out. All right, getting into the uh, free agency, the trades, transaction Jacksonville made. What were some of the uh, big additions that, Jacksonville made that you uh that, that are worth noting, Alex. Um, the main thing, which is the big um pick of the offseason, is Shaquille Griffin from um the Seahawks. Um, they needed a second corner. Uh, we talked a little bit about the draft about CJ Henderson. Uh, he didn't probably have the greatest year, but he's going to get better, obviously, in this system. And then also, you have Sha Shaquille Griffin opposite of him. That's a nice little combo at cornerback. If you get Henderson to kind of be where he's supposed to be, that's a nice little combo right there. Um, also, I know it's a sneaky signing, but uh, did they sign Carlos Hyde? Because I got down yeah. here, they signed Carlos Hyde. And I know a lot of people like to crap on your old boy Carlos Hyde, but 
every time he gets in, he's that second and third running back. He kind of helps out as far as blocking, catching. He's just he's kind of become like the little sneaky running back that goes to every other team and kind of helps out and kind of is that guy there. So um, I really like that pick. They did a lot of defensive line signers on a lot of different defensive linemen to kind of help solidify. They won the worst pass rushing teams last year, so they signed a couple of different guys here and there. Um, they kind of solidified the D line, but um, they had a lot of money to work with, and they needed to do a lot of work. So they got a lot of different veterans out there to kind of help out. Yeah, Carl Side was a two-year, four-point-five million-dollar signing. Um, so, what, what do you think about uh, Marvin Jones being signed in, kind of as a maybe as number one, maybe as number two wide receiver? Do you like that signing? I love it for the simple fact that a young quarterback needs a veteran wide receiver like that. Um, they got some young wide receivers on this team, but you need like a veteran guy there that's going to be able to help him read the coverages just like everyone else. A lot of people don't understand wide receivers got to read coverage just like a quarterback in the NFL because um, there's a lot of option routes. So you got to see the same thing the quarterback is seeing. And when you're a young wide receiver, young quarterback, sometimes that's a little bit of like a, a, a hinder there. But we had a veteran wide receiver who could read like quarterbacks and understand what the quarterback's going through, what he he wants him to do. That really helps them out. So I, I think that that helps him, and then also helps the younger wide receivers that can kind of step their game up. Yeah, definitely true. Uh, and you know, I I don't think people realize that he almost had a thousand yards receiving last year. He's going to get paid. He's on a two-year, twelve million dollar contract. So at six million a year, that I think that's kind of a a good bargain to have is exactly what you talked about, that veteran compliment to that receiving, that young receiving core. Uh, I also got Cam Robinson being resigned at the honor of the franchise tag. You know, is he a game breaker? No, but he has some stability at the left tackle position. So definitely not a bad signing. Uh, not a great signing either. I think the one that people probably aren't tracking as much is um, the uh, signing that they had for Jenkins, the safety out of, Seeing uh, the Chargers, uh, Rayshon Jenkins, he got signed to a four-year, $35 million contract. Um, and like Alex said earlier, he, you know, the secondary needs a lot of help. He provides some uh, some good safety play, good stability out there. So I think those are some of the major additions that they had for Jacksonville. Um, some of the losses that they had. Alex, do you have any uh, major losses you saw for Jacksonville? As far as the major losses, Chris Thompson, um, as a person who had um, Robinson last year, Chris Thompson loved to steal touchdowns from him. Um, but I know that was Jay Gruden's boy, so Jay Gruden's out there, so that kind of, you know, took that kind of out of there. Uh, Keelan Cole was one of the top of wide receivers. They lost him um, to free agency. I think he went to the Jets. Uh, then Tyler Eifert, they're so bad at tight end right now. And Eifert was probably their best wide tight end wide receiver last year. And him losing him now makes you go try to, you know, get Tim Tebow at tight end. That's how bad the drop-off was. Yeah, that, that really didn't make much sense, much sense on that. Um, I think some of the minor losses, Chris Connolly, Michael Lennon, which the whole Michael Lennon thing was so weird. It's such an obvious tank job. Like, there's no reason why Michael Lennon should be playing. You, you, he's like your scapegoat. You play him, you let him lose the games, and then you cut him. It's kind of disrespectful. Brian, let me ask you a question. Um, yeah. Is it a little weird that they still have Gardner Minshew on their roster? I would have thought with them drafting Trevor Lawrence, they would have thought about at least trading him, maybe not cut him, but trading him. I thought somebody would think of him like as a low-end starter or maybe like a, a top backup, but I just thought they would have probably have got rid of him. Is it worth they kept him? 
I, I guess there's different ways to look at this, like getting some kind of value out of him maybe. Um, but at the same time, I don't think they have any legitimate backup quarterback options in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence just came off being hurt, uh, which is what off offseason sh- off throwing shoulder surgery. Um, I think their backups are CJ Beathard and Jake Luton. So to me, Gardner Mishu was what a six round pick. So he's, he doesn't count against anything against their cap. They didn't pay him any money. So He's getting paid almost nothing. You know he can start. You know he's a serviceable backup. I think after watching, uh, after allowing Michael Lennon to tank the season for them, I would prefer <laughs> to keep Gardner Minshew just as a uh, – not that I don't trust Trevor Lawrence because I think he'll be fine as a quarterback, but I think it's just like a, a just-in-case. You know, as a Niners fan, I know what C.J. Beathard is, but I, I would rather have Gardner Minshew throwing. Um, especially you, you know that he can run that style of offense, that spread that spread offense. He You know, he can run it. Not not as athletic and mobile, you can't run with them. But I would personally keep Gardner Minshew unless someone was willing to offer me a sixth round pick or better, just to get kind of compensation back for having Gardner Minshew because you don't really need him as much. But that's just my take on that. Okay. Are you I mean, are you shocked? They haven't traded him. I would have thought just because of his personality and kind of like the love for him because he's he's a bit of a popular person, not just in Jacksonville but also like in the NFL. A lot of times teams don't like their backups kind of being known more than their starter or as much as their starter. And I figured with him being there, I figured, oh, okay, they trade him probably, you know, for like a mid-round pick or something like that. Somebody tried to make him a starter and it wouldn't work out or something like that. I'm just surprised that had happened. Maybe it's just because no one's called for him. I think he'd be great in Dallas as a backup quarterback there. I think he fits that big personality. Yep. Not going to argue with that. Uh, all right, let's move on to um, some fantasy talk, or actually not fantasy talk yet. Um, what? Uh, okay, so we're talking about what uh, what moves do we like the most from this offseason, Alex? Is there is there one move, draft, trade, signing that you like most that Jacksonville did? I would probably have to go with the Irvin Meyer thing. Um, you you need you need you can't mess this up, and usually you kind of look for like the best situation, maybe like the best offices or a coordinator or something like that. They went out there and they got themselves a name. They got him some somebody who's going to rejuvenate the fan base. I mean, he's big down there. Um, you know, obviously Gainesville isn't Jacksonville, but it's still in the same area. He's highly loved. He's going to sell tickets. People are going to want to come and see him just because Urban Meyer is there. He's got the people talking. Um, and there's been low-end talk about Jacks, Jacksonville maybe losing their franchise and maybe they're moving somewhere like London or something like that. They need something to rejuvenate their fan base. And I think the Urban Meyer thing, I think it may – I don't know if it's going to work out long-term, but at least for the short term, it's a its a big—it's a good business move. Yeah, and I think for me, I, I wrote down, I think, you know, obviously the easy pick is, is Trevor Lawrence. Like he's obviously the easy addition I like you like the most because – like you said, having a franchise like that, uh, you want to see them turn it around. And what better coach and quarterback combo do you have than Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer to help turn this team around? And they're both kind of from close to that area. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's also not in the big, big city lights, uh, not big media market. So, you know, it's not really a high expectation for them. Uh, it, so to me, it's just a win-win in that situation. You know, 
they don't have expectations. They were so bad. Uh, it's not New York. They don't have. They uh, they don't have to win right away, but um, yeah. Uh, the one thing I thought was kind of interesting was kind of an under the radar signing that I like was the Rayshon Jenkins safety out of San Diego. I, I just love that pick or that that signing. Um, a lot of I think between the guaranteed money and stuff like that, they have. I think it was only like eight million guaranteed, uh, but under ten million dollars a year. Someone that I think he started fifteen to sixteen games last year for San Diego showed he can start, showed he can produce. He was rated as uh, kind of a middle of the pack safety on the PFF, so he, he's very productive. And I think that can only help their defense with how bad Jacksonville's defense was last year. Uh, now the next thing, Alex, I'm going to ask is: Was there any move from the offseason that you liked the least that Jacksonville did? <laughs> um, if I had to, I, I'd say I go back to the Eifert thing. Um, it's one thing to let Eifert go; it's another thing to not be able to kind of fill the shoe his shoes. You need to have gotten a tight end. Tight ends are so important right now in the offense today. I know they just signed James O'Shaughnessy, but I mean he's not Eifert. I know Eifert isn't the the guy he was, but if you're gonna let someone like that go. You better be able to be aggressive, especially them having as much money as they had to go get somebody who's comparable or at least could help you out. I mean, we, we already joked about it earlier, but the tight end situation is so bad. You, you're trying to team Tebow at a tight end because it's so bad. That's that's not good. That's not good at all. Um, I think they they needed to have looked at the situation. I thought they were okay before they signed Marvin Jones. Um, before they did anything at wide receiver, but I thought the tight end position they they let somebody go, then they didn't feel the the need to me properly. Yeah, but they uh they got no Ohio State boy at tight end. They got Luke Farrell. You know he's he's six six two fifty eight. He can be just like Tyler Eifert without uh, playing three games a season. So I guess I guess we'll see how that how that plays out. I mean, but yeah, the whole Tebow thing is just uh, it's just so hard to believe like why you would do that. But anyways, um. The uh, so for me, I put the one I like the least, you know, which is it's not an easy choice, but uh, the running back out of Clemson, Etienne, um, being picked at the end of the first round. So, you know, the reason why I don't like that, and it's not because I don't like him, it's not because I don't like Urban Meyer having that weapon, because I think he will be a successful weapon for Urban Meyer. It's just what me and Alex talked about in past podcasts the value of where you're picking and what you're picking. You know, they, they passed a lot of things up at that number 25 pick. Um, and like I said, they gave up 492 points last year. Uh, the Shaquille Griffin signing, he was not rated very well as a cornerback, and they paid him as a number one cornerback. So I think with that, that second pick, man, they, they could have picked something different with the number 25 pick. Uh, there was a couple defensive players on the board I think that would have been a lot better uh, to have, including some of the safeties that they have, um, you know, but uh, and some of the cornerbacks that were taken there too. So I, I just think that, it, you know, Etienne will be, will be good. It's just, I kind of question where, like, I feel like they could have taken him with their next pick in the second round or, or someone else that was there uh, later on. Uh, all right. So let's get into some fantasy football talk now, Alex, for the Jacksonville. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to break down each kind of position, some of the major players, and kind of talk about how they did last year and how we think they'll do next year. You know, will, will they be better or worse? So I'm going to start with Trevor Lawrence. Um, now with him, we don't have anything to really compare him to. 
the one thing I will compare him to is uh, Andrew Luck. You know, he's saying that he's the best rated, best talented quarterback coming out as a rookie since Andrew Luck. Uh, for Andrew Luck, if you don't remember, he uh, had 4,300 passing yards as a rookie. He had 23 passing touchdowns with 18 interceptions, so it was almost one for one. Luck averaged uh, 17 points per game that year. Now, who could we compare him to this last year that averaged about 17 points per game? Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick was number 20, the 20th ranked quarterback this last year, averaging 17 points per game. So I think probably it's a safe bet that Trevor Lawrence will be at least the number 20 quarterback uh, and, and probably improving, kind of like we saw Joe Burrows was starting to do before he got hurt. Uh, so, Alex, if I had to say that, you know, do you think Trevor Lawrence would be better than the number 20 fantasy-ranked quarterback? Would you say better or worse or same? I'm going to say worse. Um and it's not anything against him. Um, it's very hard to come in the NFL and be a really good rookie quarterback. That's why when I see rookie quarterbacks kind of come in and do that, I get pretty excited because it's like it's not easy. Um, and then also we're talking about last year. Um, they were in the 30s in all the major offensive categories. Um, they weren't as good last year. Um, you you kind of hope, theoretically, he's going to be better than Gardner Minshew. And part of it is uh, they pulled Minshew. He actually had Glenn and Luton play last year, so I can't even say that. Um, but I, I don't, I don't see him being better than that. I, I think maybe I could see in a, a situation if you're in a league, a fantasy league, where you prioritize running. Can I see him maybe get a couple rushing touchdowns here or there, maybe padding the stats a little bit? Yeah, I can see that, but I, I don't think he's going to be better than that. Yeah, and so and this is what we're doing is we're we're basing these rankings off ESPN PPR league format. Um, so it could be a little different than like CBS or a couple others, but uh, something just kind of compare him to uh, Gardner Minshew in the games he played Gardner Minshew had 17.9 fantasy points per game, which is more than Andrew Luck had and Gardner Minshew, you remember he was kind of injured and they kind of did not let him come back in tactically. Um, uh, the rookie that did succeed last year, Justin Herbert, he was, uh, I believe, the eighth-ranked quarterback at 22 points per game. So that's kind of, I think, that's your best-case situation. You come back with, like, a Justin Herbert who has offensive weapons kind of already in place compared to Jacksonville. So, you know, uh, you know he's going to be worse 15 to 20, so Alex is worse. You know, and I think I think I have him right in that 15 to 20 area um, and just hoping he improves. Uh, and, and for those of you that – are tracking Joe Burrow. He was number 19 last year at 17.4. So I think a good expectation is to be kind of around what Joe Burrow was in the games he did play, fantasy-wise. Um, so, you know, if you're going to take him in a dynasty league, obviously Lawrence is one of those that you could, if, if you value quarterbacks in your dynasty league, you can do that. Uh, let's move on to running back. James Robson, Alex's uh, fantasy godsend, I think, was the sixth-ranked fantasy running back last year. He had 1,000 yards rushing, just a little over 1,000 yards rushing with seven touchdowns and four nine catches. Uh, you know, Urban Meyer drafted his own running back in the first round. He has no money tied into James Robson. However, they are keeping him. Um, it, it's kind of hard to say that Robson is going to be better or the same. I, I, I are you going to agree with me, Alex, that Robson will be worse than last year because of a new coach coming in? Yeah, obviously. Um, I mean, not just a coach, the the running back. He's going to have to split time with ETN, so. That's definitely going to take his, his, his yards away. And I was going to think about this last year. I think week 15, 16 around that, he actually got hurt. So he actually probably could have finished higher than six last year 
It's just the fact he got hurt near the end of the year. So, um, yeah, I don't expect him to, uh, to put up the same numbers he did last year. Well, fantasy points wise, he uh, he was I think he was sixth. He was seventh fantasy points wise in our uh, PPR format that we had. So, um, uh, and that's gaining points now at points per game. He was around that same area, about seventeen point nine point points per game. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. He did have forty nine catches, which I think is more than you expect for most running backs, especially a rookie running back. So. Um, there's definitely gonna be a drop off. Uh, now with Etienne, he's, I think he's gonna be tough to gauge. Are they really gonna use him as a wider receiver running back combo? Uh, if he's in PPR leagues, he can probably crack the top 30, but it's gonna be tough to see, uh, and, and really do anything with him. I guess if you're in kind of a dynasty format with, uh, you can, you can bury these younger players, uh, then he'd be worth taking a gamble on. Uh, do, do you see any risk worth taking on Etienne in, in the in fantasy, Alex? No, uh, if you're in a fantasy league, taking them in the middle of late rounds makes sense. And you're in a just your standard league. If you're deep, it's worth taking a risk on them, taking a flying on them. Um, he might be the the lead. He might be Urban Myers running back. You know, when you have new regimes coming in, Robinson might not get any care, any carries like he did last year. They might go to ETN all the time. So, I mean, it's worth a risk down there if you're looking at a running back two, three, or four. Yeah, um, and obviously he has he has experience playing with Trevor Lawrence, um, so you know they're used to playing with each other already. Uh, the one thing that is in his benefit, I think, is that there is no real safety net option in Jacksonville. Like we talked about, there's no tight end real tight end option, which is why in the past I kept saying, "Why go get Zach Ertz? Give up a mid round pick, a sixth round, fifth, whatever you can to get Zach Ertz." But they don't have a reliable – Sean say is not a reliable tight end that you want to have um, on your team. He's not a fancy option. So maybe he gets those uh, check down catches uh, and builds up his PPR with a bunch of catches, if anything. Uh, moving on to wide receiver, uh, Chark is the one we're going to start with first. In 2019, he was a top 20 wide receiver, but last year he had a lot of bad injuries and a lot of terrible quarterback play. Uh, the quarterback play resulted – I think he was – he had a top three worst catch percentage chance. So that means the passes his way were so bad that he just didn't have a chance to catch the ball. So, um, you know, with, with Chark, uh, he was still inside the top 50 last year. He, he had injuries. Uh, he had 11.8 points per game. So do you think that he can improve on last year's and get back to kind of what he was in 2019, Alex? Yeah, you're, you're right on that. I think he had 93 targets, only 53 catches, which is pretty bad um yeah. me not being able to chart every throw i can't say it's all on him or it's all on the quarterback but let's just for sake say it's probably all on the quarterback um he has big time potential all he needs is a big time quarterback who can consistently give him the football and hopefully um if if the quarterback here drafted is what we think he is he should be able to get some good targets. If he gets 93 targets this year again, I mean, he had 53 last year. It makes no, it makes good sense that he at least crack in the 70s or 80s, at least 23, 20 to 30 more catches. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think Chark is one of those bounce back guys this year. Uh, and obviously, he's not an Irvin Meyer guy, or he's got to earn himself an Irvin Meyer system. Uh, Irvin Meyer brought in Marvin Jones. So Chark should be between that one and three spot. Um, as long as he's in one of the top two, he'll get big numbers. Uh, but the number two, 
receiver as of right now is gonna be Marvin Jones. He uh which to me was surprising. I didn't know he was ranked as high in terms of fantasy points per game. He was ranked twenty fifth last year, fantasy points per game, seventy six catches, just shy of a thousand yards, nine touchdowns in Detroit last year. Uh so he's you know coming back coming into kind of a maybe a better situation, uh, if you will. So I think, you know, for me, Marvin Jones is gonna be better, worse or the same. I think he'll be about the same. I think he'll this is a team that's going to be playing from behind a lot. They're going to need a veteran receiver to rely on. I think he'll be that guy that's – I think the touchdowns will drop off, but I think he'll have a, a good amount of catches and yards, maybe not break the 1,000 yards. But what do you think, Alex? Yeah, he's going to, he's going to break the stats based off of garbage time. Um, this is going to be a bottom feeder team um, more than likely. They're going to get a lot. They're going to throw a lot. Um, Trevor Lawrence is going to get his arm hurt just from throwing a lot. They're going to have to throw a lot to be in a lot of these football games. So I definitely see him basically be probably, I'd say about the same. Um, I agree with you about the touchdowns. This was one of the lower scoring touch, uh, touchdown teams last year. I don't expect him to be in the top 20 or top 15 this year. So I, they're going to be in the bottom. So he's not going to get as many touchdowns, but he's definitely going to get the targets. All right. With tight ends, uh, like we talked about, Sean Say Farrell, uh, I guess Tebow, if you really want to mention that, I don't, but I don't think there's any relevant tight end options as of right now. Of course, that could change later on as he, uh, Lawrence develops chemistry with someone. But I think we've seen O'Shaughnessy. Um, it's just probably not going to work out very well with defense. Uh, stay away from Jacksonville. Just something worth a thought. Um, and and lastly, uh, well, actually, we're we're going to do schedule and everything at the very end of everything. And what we're going to do is me and Axel will we'll break down the over unders. Uh, for each one of these teams. So next, let's move on to the Texans. Alex, the Texans were 4-12 last year, but they ended on a five-game losing streak and it only got worse. Bill O'Brien uh, left a minefield of bad contracts, trades, uh, considerations. Uh, so whoever took over is kind of in a no-winning position. Watson's situation of not wanting to play the team only got worse when it legal issues popped up. So now he's court date, I don't think it's still 2022. So there's a lot of issues with Deshaun Watson. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the Texans are in a tough place. So what were some of the additions? The the head coach, David Coley, um, is a new head coach. The uh, draft picks that they had. So I guess the, the major draft picks that they had was Davis Mills, the top quarter, one of the top-ranked quarterbacks coming out of high school who ended up going to Stanford. A lot of issues with injuries and other factors. Didn't allow him to play as much as he should have. He didn't really develop the way we ever thought, but he's a high – potential prospect, uh, a development project probably. Uh, and then, you know, they have a tight end they took. I think that maybe a lot of people didn't really uh, – are kind of a sleeper, Brevin Jordan. He could be a big steal as a fifth-round pick. So I think those are the big additions in terms of draft for the Texans. Alex, on, on the side of free agency and trades and stuff like that, what what are you tracking that the Texans did that are worth mentioning? You know what? And doing our study, one thing I did find out, Texas did a lot of little sneaky moves that don't seem that big, um, yep. but it, it made sense. And part of it is, let's think about this: they don't they don't have high draft picks for the next two years. Um, they were going to have to find different ways to make their team better. So they did a lot of little small um, deals. I love Desmond King. I've been a big Desmond King fan since he came out of Iowa. Um, only thing about Des McKean, everyone tell you he's too small, but he's a heck of a football player. Uh, they signed my boy Malik Collins, D tackle, um, for, from the Cowboys, actually from the Raiders last year. 
I really hated Dallas, lost him, but hey, you know, you gotta go, we got the money's go. So um also Marcus Cannon, that's a good tackle they uh, traded for who kind of can compare up with Tunsil. Um, you definitely have a, your franchise quarterback. You got to be able to protect them. Um, and Chris Conley from the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, that's a little small kind of deal right there. Um, he, 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 he's, he was great in Kansas City, but if he can get on with Watson, if he plays this year, that's the type of like middle round, middle age wide receiver that kind of doesn't do nothing. You get him with a great quarterback, he can have himself a, a nice sneaky layer. Yeah, yep, definitely. And some of the other ones I'm tracking, uh, Shaq Lawson, they got uh, a couple of the running backs. They added some veteran running backs and Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, uh, Tyrod Taylor, you brought him in. So it's either he's a good serviceable backup or or he's going to be, you know, a, a, a capable starter potentially. So like Alex said, there's a lot of little things they did uh, because they didn't have a lot of money to work with. They didn't have a lot of draft picks. So they had to make a lot of these moves, um, try to be frugal with their money. So, you know, I do actually do like some of these things that they did. Uh, in terms of losses, Alex, you tracking any major losses that they have? Oh, yeah. They they lost my boy, my Notre Dame boy, Will Fuller. Yeah. Um, I, I really wish he went to Green Bay. Uh, that's one of the things I was hearing about it. I really wish he had went to Green Bay and got with Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, the Dolphins can use him. You know, the Dolphins are absolutely loaded the wide receiver position. Um, but he went there. Um, so that kind of helped out. Obviously, they got rid of J.J. Watt, and he went to Arizona. So um, we'll see how if J.J. Watt still got anything left in the tank. And uh, you talked about Shaq Lawson. They also traded uh, McKinney to Miami. So I think it was not I think it was like a trade where they kind of really swapped swap linebackers. So yeah, um, I guess we trade one guy's a linebacker they don't want for another guy's linebacker they don't want. So. And Duke Johnson was really sneaky at a, as a running back, kind of like a scat back for him. So um, he, he's gone as well. Yep. Yeah, those are pretty much the ones I'm tracking too. Uh, of all the additions that the Texans made, which one did you like the most? Was it Desmond King? Well, I like the player. I'd say, yeah, Desmond King. Um, I think the biggest impact might end up being Tyrod Taylor, especially if Deshaun Watson doesn't play this year. If he doesn't play this year and they have to play Tyrod Taylor, I mean, he he's he's a he's a suitable starting quarterback. But you're going to a situation you can't really worry about tanking because you don't have a first round pick or a second round pick to tank for. So um, you got to stay afloat somehow, some way. So I like the Tyrod Taylor thing, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think for me, I Desmond King is the, is the move I like the most. It's a one year, six million dollar uh, signing. It, it doesn't really hurt them at all making that signing. He's a good cornerback. Uh, he's a good pairing with the current cornerback they have. I think Bradley Roby. Uh, I think that's a really good one too with, with a team that has a lot of issues all over their roster. So I like that one a lot. Um, is there any moves that you did not like that the Texans made? Hmm. Well, I wouldn't say free agency. Um, I've never been a big Rex Burkhead fan, but um, he kind of is one of those guys is what he is. You know, he, he, he's kind of the try hard guy that kind of sh- made me shake my head, especially since you had Philip Ritt Lindsay and you got Mark Ingram. So that kind of had me scratching my head. And then they signed Jeff Driscoll and I'm not mistaken. I think they just recently cut him. Um, 
which doesn't kind of make any sense. And you signed the guy and decided to cut him. So uh, they had me scratching my head as well. Yeah, mine uh, that I did not like was the the Davis Mills. Um, I get why they did a project quarterback, but at the same time, you know you're not going to win. You know you have Deshaun Watson, who you want him to come back. Uh, you know you have Tyrod Taylor to kind of be a bridge quarterback. To me, Davis Mills makes no sense because if he's decent, you're kind of screwed in a way because if you're smart – as a Texans management, you know you're going to lose this year. Just lose, get that first pick next year, because I, I th- actually do think the Texans have their picks next year. The last two years were the years that they got robbed with the whole Dolphins uh, trade with Tunsil and everything. So I think they have their first-round pick next year, and I think next year is the year that they should really just be going all in on whatever the best quarterback is uh, next year. And, and they should have used that third-run pick this year on improving that offensive and defensive line. That defensive line, as of right now, is rated really bad for the Texans. So uh, you went in the trenches as a guy that's a Patriots, uh, coming from the Patriots, that's their general manager now, I, I think, what, Nick Casario? I think mm-hmm. he should know that, of all people, how, how teams really should be built. Um, so I kind of I, – I just didn't like the Davis Mills um, – I mean – so much potential it didn't work in college why is it work in the nfl uh, maybe it maybe it will but let's move on to the texans and some fantasy which is kind of scary because uh top quarterback first you have deshaun watson he's number six quarterback last year locked in he's uh you can lock him in as a top 10 quarterback every single year however with his court date coming up in 2022 there's a good chance he may not even play this year at all so uh with that with tyra taylor his two best years starting, he averaged 19.3 fantasy points per game and 18 fantasy points per game. That put him in the range last year, if you want to compare those numbers, to being the number between number 15 and 20 in terms of quarterbacks. But he also didn't start consistently since 2017. So that was 2016, 2017 when he had those years. So it's been a minute, Alex, since he's really started. Um, so if you want to compare him to those numbers, is he be better, worse, or the same if between the number of 15 and 20? Because I, I have him worse than 20. Um, myself, but what do you think? This is the thing about Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor can get by with his running. He's the type of guy who he'll probably throw for 100, 150 yards, but if he runs for 50 yards, you know, or 40 yards, or maybe a rushing touchdown, that kind of gets his points right there. Um, I think passer-wise, I don't expect him to, like you said, I don't expect him fantasy-wise to be up there close to anyone. Um, but, you know, as far as him running, especially the, the fact that Houston's a bad team, uh, he's going to be doing a lot of running. Deshaun Watson was sacked 49 times last year. So I know they got Marcus Cannon, but their offensive line still has some problems on it. So do I expect him to run a little bit more this year? Yeah. So I still don't think he's going to have the higher numbers, but he'll still do decent. Like I see maybe 17, 15 to 17 per game. That's probably what I would guess right there. All right, so we went running back. Um, talk about a time machine for a running back core that the Texans have. They have <laughs> Rex Burkhead, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, and David Johnson all in their backfield. Uh, I, I don't know what the logic or reasoning is to hoard all these 30-year-old running backs. Um, I think Philip actually Philip Lindsay's, I think, 20, about to turn 27. But uh, but the rest of them is I, I just don't understand that. 
Um, Philip Lindsay right now is listed as a starter uh, on, on paper, but you know, obviously, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, last year, he had 500 yards rushing and one touchdown, and he's going to go to and he's going to a worse team. So, I think I don't, you can let me know what you think about us, Alex. But wh- whoever wins starting job is going to be a fringe flex play. Uh, I don't even think it's worth taking any Texans running back on your roster. Um, unless they figure out how to allow Tyrod Taylor to check down to someone like Dave Johnson, if you want to check down to him seven times a game, sure, maybe he'd be relevant then. But do you see any fancy value in any of these running backs? I don't see any value for the simple fact that Tyrod Taylor is their quarterback. If that's we believe that, if Deshaun Watson is their quarterback, I could see some of these guys kind of getting off. But it goes back to the situation you're talking about: three or four head monster. You talk about fantasy, you really just hate that. Unless you're in a deep league where you can put, like, the one of the running backs as the fourth running back and maybe get lucky one every one a week, one guy scores a touchdown or something like that. Um, but other than that, I mean, you're 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 at the, the mercy of the guys. You're at the mercy of the offensive coordinator who says, you know what, today's going to be Derek, uh, David Johnson's day. Oh, no, today's going to be uh, Philip Lindsay day. So those are the, those are the the commit run back committees. Those are the fantasy teams I absolutely hate. I agree. All right, let's move on to their wide receiver situation. So if we had a time machine and two years ago, you told any Texans fan that you would not have Hopkins or Will Fuller. I don't think anyone would believe you um, because why would you let either of them go? And here we are. Neither of them are here. However, can we cue the uh, low-budget applause button, which is just this? <laughs> Brandon Cooks played all his games, but one, Brandon Cooks survived a season, essentially, which is, I guess, the low, uh, the little good thing to look forward to uh, for all the Texans, maybe. Uh, Brandon Cooks was the number 17th-ranked wide receiver with 81 catches, 1,150 receiving yards with six touchdowns, averaging 15.5 points per game. Uh, you know, his sidekick who is Randall Cobb, who is also another injury machine, um, kind of worries me a little bit. But for Cooks, I think he's a fringe wide receiver number one for a team for fantasy. Uh, definitely a strong number two to have. But once again, the whole concussions and injuries and everything play into Brandon Cooks. Uh, is he going to be healthy? So as the uh, number 17th ranked wide receiver last year, do you think Cooks can be better or worse or the same, Alex? Oh, he's going to be worse. If, if his quarterback is going to be Tyrod Taylor, and there's no – I feel like I'm 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 just drunk, jumping on Tyrod Taylor, but it's no secret Tyrod Taylor is not your fifty passes a game type of guy. He's your one hundred fifty to two hundred at max. He's going to make most of his fantasy points running. So with that being said, the the wide receivers aren't going to get that many targets. Um, and then you talk about Brandon Cooks. Um, it's really going to be Brandon Cooks or bust because Fuller's gone. You still got Randall Cobb who can work underneath, and that's not a problem. And then they also – we also talked earlier today, we talked about um, – we talked about um, other guys who got signed. I like Dante Moncree too as well, um, but I think it's going to be a wide receiver kind of committee type situation. Teams are going to double-team Brandon Cooks, make sure he doesn't beat them deep, and there's going to be a, more of a spread around. Yeah, the thing you talked about with uh, Tyra Taylor and all the targets, I, I think eight of Brennan Cook's 11 games he played to end the year, he had more than eight targets or more, uh, including three games of double-digit targets. So I just think it's hard to expect that to happen again uh, for Brandon Cooks. 
His uh, sidekick we talked about, Randall Cobb. He was outside the top 50 last year, played in 11 games, but he only had one game more than six targets, which is, of course, his revenge game against the Packers. So I don't really think he's a reliable wide receiver to look at. However, if there is a position to probably look forward to on the Texans as a sleeper, I would think it's probably the tight end position. Uh, Atkins, I think, will benefit from Tyler Taylor uh, to be a checkdown machine. You know, I, I, I guess I always thought Watson would do well by checking down to tight ends, but I think with if we've all seen the shot Watson, he will do whatever he can to create in the pocket to find the best play available, which is not having a tight end essentially. So, I think if Atkins was going to have a, a a relevant year, maybe a top twenty uh, tight end, I think it'd be if Tyrod Taylor is his quarterback. What do you think about that, Alex? Um, I, I agree with that. Um, Atkins has so much upside, um, and especially in the situation when you talk about fantasy football, um, there's not that many tight ends. After probably you talk about the top, top six or eight tight ends, it's a fairly big drop off. Um, then you're kind of looking at the tight end, kind of scratching the bowl, trying to figure out at the bottom feeders who who can you do on a play. I can see Atkins kind of be one of those guys you kind of put on the bottom and put on your bench. Depending on the play, depending on the matchup, if you don't have tight ends, you put them in in a certain matchup, especially when you play someone like Jacksonville or the Tennessee, some of the worst defense in the division, and you put them in there, see if he can kind of go off, kind of get you some points here or there. Yep. You know, he had uh, he had four games and more than six targets. He had three games, uh, four games and more than 10 fantasy points per game. He's going to a contract year. Now, they did draft uh, a couple of young tight ends, so – I guess we'll see if he if he's going into it with this new coaching staff. If he's a tight end number one, I think, and it's Watson. I think you, I would take a, a very late round pick on him or spend one dollar on the auction at the end, depending on who my other tight ends are. Um, so their defense, stay away. Just stay away from their defense. Uh, on they the had side. three interceptions all year. I thought that was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, and they're going to have less of a pass rush without JJ Watt there now. I think they're. They're starting defensive line, uh, and I think they run a. I think they run a three-four, but uh, going across from right to left, their ranking was uh, one twenty-two out of one hundred twenty-six ranked defensive linemen, one hundred twenty-third out of one hundred twenty-six defensive linemen, and one hundred and two out of one hundred twenty-six defensive linemen. So your three defensive starting linemen are so bad they're all in the hundreds out of one hundred twenty-six people. So that's not going to be good at all for the Texans. A lot of throwing, a lot of playing from behind. All right. Next, uh, we got the Colts. All right. So the Colts, uh, they took on a Pip Rivers, Alex, who I know you are uh, very, I don't know, fond of is the right word, but you're very familiar with, um, which you're, I think, what you had a rule in fantasy football to never draft Pip Rivers. Was that the rule? Yep. Because he'll throw for 500 yards and five picks. Yep. So negating all the positive chances you have of anything with the quarterback. So uh, the Colts took Rivers on with his pretty much last year of playing. Uh, we, you know, he, he used to be turnover prone, which is what I think we're labeling Carson Wentz as a turnover prone quarterback based on how bad his last year was, which is by far the worst year he's ever had. So do you think Wentz can bounce back and, and just at least be an average quarterback? Because I think that's all the Colts need is an average quarterback, right? Do you think Wentz can do that? I think he could be better than an average quarterback. And this is coming from a Cowboy guy, so raise my hand. I, 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 I got to be neutral on this. Um, 
I think he could. I think he could get there. I've heard a lot of things, and I kind of want to speculate. I'm not going to speculate. Kind of some of the things that were happening up there in Philadelphia with him. Um, I also think part of it is when you you draft yourself a quarterback, um, and you say he's just your backup that highly, like they did. I don't care what you. It it messes with your mentals. Um, there's very rare situation where that actually works out. I think the only time I've ever really seen it work out is your boys, Montana and Young. Um, yep. And then with that one, they they signed slash traded for Young or whatever. But um, you just you don't want any type of threat to you. You're always thinking somebody you're going to get pulled if you throw a pick or throw something bad. You know, you're not able to relax. I think with him being there and being told the man, and then also his best years were with Frank Wright. So I think he's comparable with uh, comfortable with what Frank Wright's doing. I think he's going to play a lot better than he did last year. And it's a better football team in general. Yep, I agree with you. And it's kind of crazy. Uh, Rivers had a good year, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. And he, and he, I think he had plantar fasciitis or something where he was not able to move around the pocket to the point where Jacoby Brissett would come in on on uh, downs where they needed a mobile quarterback. So if Pitt Rivers can stand still and throw for 4,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, only 11 interceptions, I'd like to believe that Wentz can be just fine. Um so, for the Colts, uh, they have the same head coach. Uh, they lost, I think, their offensive coordinator, even though I don't think he was actually the play caller to uh, Sirianni, who went to the Eagles. Um, but some of the major additions to the Colts was on the draft side, at least. Uh, with Quiddy Payne, he's, uh, I, I guess, probably your the best overall lineman in the draft, Alex, right? Like, I think as a potential to pass rush and a – uh, run defender. He was probably the best overall defensive lineman. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. He he's more known as your 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 standard defensive um, lineman, defensive man who can stop the run. So um, he's good. He was very good at d- day one. He's going to come in the NFL. He's been real good at stopping run. He's got to learn some pass rushing skills and a little bit about that. But I think he 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 can get by. And I think the one luxury that he has is he's going to be playing next to one of the best defensive tackles in football with uh, DeForest Buckner. So. Uh, it's just like having anyone next to um, uh, uh, Don- Aaron Donald in uh, – I'm going to say St. Louis uh, – for the Rams. You know, he's going to make anyone better as next to him. I think it's going to be the same thing for Buckner. It's going to let uh, Pay, Quiddy Pay, just to kind of develop better. He won't. It'll be a lot of pressure off of him because he's got such a good player playing right next to him. So I think he'll be just fine. Uh, their second-round pick, uh, Odiangbo, I think, is uh, the defensive lineman who – I think a lot of people gave the Colts crap for making this pick. However, the Colts had a first round grade, first round grade on him, um, and he had a lot of injuries that knocked him into the second round. I think a lot of people were freaking out because of the uh, retirement of a Costanzo that they needed a tackle. So I think that's a why they got a lot of uh, kind of a hate their way about that pick and not take one of the offensive linemen. So good on the Colts for sticking to their plan and picking what they thought was best. Uh, obviously, usually people in their own room knows what's best for them instead of all of us on the outside that try to speculate what they need to do. So in terms of free agency, Alex, what were some of the big moves you saw the Colts make? Because we didn't see any of the huge moves you wanted to see them make, but what did they make any moves? Well, they uh they, they re-signed a couple of different players when you think about it. Like I didn't think they were going to re-sign Marlon Mack. I thought they were going to let him go with them drafting Taylor, but they re-signed him, they re-signed Hilton, and then they re-signed Xavier Rose, who who silently has had kind of a comeback from, from the dead type of situation. Um, so they kind of didn't do much. They re-signed a lot of their guys. Um, 
I think the bigger name you're looking at that they probably signed probably from the outside is Aaron Fisher. Um, but other than that, I say the majority of their stuff is trying to keep some of their old in-house guys in there. Yeah, and Eric Fisher was having he was having a good year. He was uh ranked the 16th out of 79 tackles, I think, before he got hurt. So I think uh that's a good signing. I think it was only eight million dollars a year. Xavier Rhodes, just like you said, I mean, I was a huge fan of his and he dro- he had a huge drop off. Um and last year he was a ninth rated corner in all of football. So he had a good bounce back year. That's a good re-sign for the Colts. The Colts don't like to mess with free agency a lot. So they it made sense that they brought in or brought back all their players and just kind of brought in exactly what they needed. So it wasn't the sexy wide receiver uh, that we kind of all link them to. Um, but, you know, Carson Wentz, that was obviously the biggest one uh, making that acquisition, which we've already talked about. So in terms of losses, Alex, what do you have that were worth mentioning for losses on the Colts? Tavon Wilson went to the 49ers, uh, one of their safeties. Um, Malik Hooker, they didn't re-sign him. And this is the thing about it. Malik Hooker is one of those players that in name, just based off reputation, you just think he's just this great player. But he has just been injury prone since the beginning of his uh, career. He's kind of been a bust for the Colts for the simple fact that he can't stay healthy. But, I mean, he's even still out there in free agency. I've heard a lot of things like the Cowboys and the Dolphins being linked to him. But from what I understand, he still isn't healthy, even though was, he, he's in the free agency. So, um, that's kind of hurt. And obviously, Pip Rivers, um, they obviously lost to Rivers. Um, you lose a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't care what the situation is. Um, you're, that's definitely going to take a blow. Obviously, they uh, they traded for wins, so that's kind of one of those things. And Justin Houston, a lot of people forgot that he's still in the league, but they yep. you know, they didn't re-sign him, but he, he was probably one of their better pass rushers. But obviously, they went double-dipped to pass rushers, so that should kind of help out. Yeah, they also had uh, Vinatieri retiring. Uh, but yeah, Houston's still a free agent who they could bring back. Um, Autry, the other defensive end uh, that they let go. Um, and I think he actually ended up going to like the the Titans or something like that. So so he's in the same division, which is not really good. But for the Colts, um, you know, hopefully they do bring Houston back. I think they really they really need him, but. Additions that you liked the most that the Colts made. Was there one addition you liked the most that they made? You know what? As much crap as I give Eagle fans and give the Eagles, I'm going to say Carson Wentz. Um, I think they, you know, based off of the guaranteed money that the Eagles had already given him, it's a, yep. a it's a it's a it's a decent contract for uh, quote franchise quarterback. They didn't sell their soul for him. You know, they only gave up a third, and then the, the second is conditional based on how he, he does. But, I mean, you tell anybody that you can basically get a third-round pick for, like, a guy who has, like, upside of MVP level, I'd say that's a bit of a steal. So, I'd say that. I'd say that's probably their best move. It's, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, it, Alex. If I, if I tell you the same amount was offered or actually traded for these quarterbacks, but who would you rather have between Carson Wentz and Sam Darnold? I'd rather have Wentz. I, I'm not yeah. a Darnold fan. You know that. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I mean, but they almost went for the they almost went for the the same kind of value. And obviously, Wentz is going to get kicked up to a first round pick. But still, he gets kicked kicked up the first round pick if they have success out of Carson Wentz. So they they're kind of protected still on that side where they could only be a second round pick. So I think yeah, I, I love that move. Um, I, a lot of people are talking down Wentz, but I just think there's so much there for him to succeed, which we'll talk about later on the fantasy side. 
Uh, the pick that I had the most was Pay. I think as the most all-around well uh, defensive line that was available, you know, he's not your top five. He's not going to be your Bosa. He's not going to be your Chase Young, obviously. But as a as a complete package that you get later on the draft, I thought I thought that was a good pick. Um, not to mention in terms of value that they need. So <laughs> the Colts were twelfth overall with forty sacks last year, which is good. You're in the top. You're in the top fifteen. However, Houston was their second most in sacks. He had eight. He's a free agent. Don't know if he's coming back. Autry, who went to the Titans, third most sacks on the team was seven and a half. So you've lost almost half your sacks. And two people that are gone. So who's going to make that up? Because right now their leading uh, guy for sacks is DeForest Buckner. So you, you need Quiddy Pay to step up. You need the other defensive line that they drafted to step up. <laughs> so I, I like Pay. Just I think as overall as a value with what he can do in terms of stopping the run. Also, because you know once again we're talking about what division are they in? The, the division with Derrick Henry. So you need defensive linemen that can plug the holes, that can ha- have gap control. Um, you know that are good against the run. So. I really like that draft pick. I think it was a solid pick on the Colts. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's good that they didn't reach for a tackle. Uh, was there a, a move you liked the least that they did, Alex? Um, Here's one. I didn't like the fact they let Brissett go to the Dolphins. I know that kind of sounds stupid when I just praised their quarterback situation, but um, Wentz has been prone to get a little hurt every once in a while. Um, I'm surprised they didn't kind of maybe solidify their backup quarterback situation. Um, I don't even know who their backup quarterback is right now. I thought, you know, you need to at least have someone there just in case Wentz, you know, has some type of uh, injury situation. So I didn't like the fact that they let let him go. And uh, I still, I don't care what anyone said, I'm still intrigued with Malik Hooker. I still think Malik Hooker, if he ever gets healthy, I think he could play. I just, I can't bank on the fact he's going to be healthy. So it's one of those kind of in-between type situations. I think the problem with Malik Hooker for me is whenever I think of a, a successful Colt safety, I think of Bob Sanders and nothing will live up to Bob Sanders. Uh, of course, once he's healthy also, it's another healthy issue for a safety and for the Colts. Uh, backup quarterbacks, Alex, can you even take a stab at any quarterback on the roster outside Carson Wentz out of curiosity? Can you name I have, one? I, I have no idea. I can tell you the, the two last year who left, but I can't even think of who's their backup quarterback right now. So I think they drafted Sam Ellinger out of Texas. I yes. think is where. Yep. So yeah. they have him out of Texas. Jacob Eason out of Washington. Yep. Drafted uh, I think drafted yeah two years ago, and then the other quarterback is Jalen Morton out of uh, Prairie View A and M in 2020. So that is your that's your quarterbacks on the Colts. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Wentz is pretty much East Coast Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, as a Niners fan, it, it terrifies me every time watching him make any play or getting hit anytime. And I think that's the same with Carson Wentz. The difference with Carson Wentz is he is very active outside the pocket. He moves. Um, he probably takes way more hits than he should, even being six foot five, two thirty seven. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that's very mobile. So he probably puts him in position to get hit more than he should. So hopefully, he cuts back on that. <laughs> so. For me, the addition I like the least, or the move I, li- I like the least, which is going to be kind of weird, is T.Y. Hilton. Uh, the reason being is I felt like it was kind of the right time to move on uh, to force her hand to bring in one of the big-name wide receivers like Will Fuller. I would have loved to see Will Fuller or someone be brought in so that they could succeed and have that next-level wide receiver. But 
I'm kind of nitpicking there. Uh, it's not like I don't like T.Y. Hill, and I just wanted to see the Colts make a big splash. They're kind of like the Packers. They don't make big splashes of free agency. So it's something I wish this, I could see. Now let's move on when to the face. When we talked about before, um, they should have been in the Julio talk. We talked before when yep. we talked about the Julio trade. They should have been the ones with their hands up saying, you know, they, you know, they got the time, they got the moves. You just traded for a quarterback. If you want him to see, give him a big, nice target. That would have helped out. Yep, I agree. I would have loved to see that there. Um, and they still have uh, cap space. They have 16 million cap space left over. So, you know, it, the product Packers are going to operate by resigning their own guys, but they could have done that. So moving on to fantasy, Carson Wentz last year was number 20 quarterback. Now, yes, he didn't play all the games, but that number 20 is based on fantasy points per game. So he was ranked 20th in fantasy points per game. Uh, at his best, however, he only had one season where he was above 17 fantasy points per game. Uh, which we use, he was at 21.7, which was his MVP year. Even during his MVP year, he would have only been 10th overall in quarterbacks this last year. So, um, you know, do you think he has a chance to be better? I'm just going to throw this out there. Be, um, between 10 and 20. 10 is his peak. 20 was where he was last year. Alex, where, where do you see that you think he can finish in that range? Um, obviously better than 20. Um can I see him in that 14, 15 range? Realistically, I, I can kind of see him get up there, um, especially with this division. Different divisions, defenses are bad. He's going to be going against like two of the top the bottom five defenses in the, in the sport. So um, I, I, he can, he's going to be able to feed off some, some bottom feeders. So I think he can get, get him some points. I don't know how he's going to do against the top notch, the, the, the higher levels, but – I think he can – he's not going to be in the 20s anymore, but he's definitely going to be higher than that. Yeah, I think I could see him right inside of 20. Uh, there, I, I think for me the reason why I don't think I'm going to see him all, much higher than around 20 is just because I think that running game is so good and the run blocking is so good that uh, if you have a healthy Marlon Mack with a Taylor, uh, I just think that they could that, you know, they could take off uh, and being kind of a, a run-pounding team. You Moving to running back. Phillip Rivers? What would you say? Do you think his ceiling or his floor is Phillip Rivers what he did last year? I think I think it's safe to say that his floor could be Phillip Rivers. Uh, we said what because he had like four thousand yards passing, right around four thousand yards passing, twenty four touchdowns, mm-hmm. and he and he wasn't mobile. So Carson Wentz, if he's healthy, he can get four thousand. He can get twenty plus passing touchdowns, and he'll probably add five or six rushing touchdowns himself. Is is my guess. Um, so I think I think that is a good kind of a guesstimation. Is his his floor would be, um, Pip Pip Rivers, and I think I think his his you know his ceiling is going to be number ten. I don't think I don't think he can get past number ten uh, if the Colts have a successful year. And I think the successful year is going to ride on the coattails of Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. So Taylor last year, going into the running back side of fantasy football, uh, he was number nine ranked running back last year, which probably would have never happened if Mac was just healthy because Mac ended up getting hurt early on. And Taylor went on to have 1,100, almost 1,200 rushing yards with 11 touchdowns and uh, 36 catches. So I think the question is for Jonathan Taylor to continue is, can he be, could you think he can be better than nine? Because I think for me, the thing that worries me is Mac coming back. Uh, is Wentz going to check down at backs? I don't know if he will. Um, but do you think Taylor can finish better or worse than last year at number nine? You know, it's funny you say about Mac. I actually feel that way about Naheem Hines. I think he had some times last year that he he looked pretty good, particularly in the if you're in the PPR league. Um, yeah. There was times that Hines Hines took over the game. 
Um, so they got themselves a nice three-headed monster. Do I think he can get close to um, Taylor? Get close to what he did last year? Yeah. The question is going to be: Are they going to be able to throw him the ball more? Um, that's probably going to be where he gets his extra yards if he gets better than ninth. Um, but I think he's going to be right at that twelve to ten like range. Like he's going to be a, a, a steady player, a steady person you want to put in your lineup. But you know, are you expecting him? Like he did eleven touchdowns his rookie year. That's a lot for a rookie. Um, and then you're spreading spreading the carries. I wouldn't be surprised if his touchdowns went out. Yeah, and of those 11 touchdowns that he had, he had seven of those in the last four weeks of the season. So he probably won you a championship if you had him. But, you know, when you have the full stable of running backs like Alex is talking about, I have a hard time believing Jonathan Taylor can keep up and do, and have those same numbers. That's not to say that he, has, he doesn't have the potential, but I think as a coaching staff, what you're going to do is you're going to want to have a balance between Mac, Hines, and Taylor with them all being there. And like Alex, uh, Alex talking about Hines, Hines averaged 12.1 points per game. So he was a very good low flex, probably low number two running back to have on your team just because of the points, uh, because of the check down catches, which I think will then also limit Jonathan Taylor. So moving on to wide receivers, uh, we have the trio of Hilton, Campbell, and Pittman. Hilton was the only one that averaged 10 at 10.9 points per game. He also only had two games with more than 10 targets. I think this passing attack has been very diverse. Um, and I think it's been hard to really pick any one of these wide receivers to kind of have as more than a wide receiver three. That's my opinion, Alex, because Hilton averaged 10.9. Uh, Pittman and Campbell wasn't even the second best option. It was actually Pascal, I think, who had about eight uh, points per game, fantasy-wise. And then you had Pittman, who didn't get regular playing time until week nine. And after that, he only had four games and more than three catches all year. So he had like that one game where he got hyped up. And then it just kind of didn't work out. Paris Campbell is big potential. Uh, he played week one, six catches, 71 yards. Then he got hurt. And he's only played, I think, in nine of a possible 32 games. So uh, can you trust Paris Campbell's injury-wise? So I think of, of those four, Alex, is it safe bet to say T.Y. Hill is the only one that's probably worth taking a flyer on? And if so, it's probably a very late, probably, I think 10 points per game is, is probably a safe bet. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Wow, you're gonna have to get gamble any of these wide receivers. Um, I'm I'm not a big Hilton f- a fan. Uh, in the last couple of years, obviously fantasy wise, this is gonna be the real tale. Who does Carson Wentz trust more? Um, that's really gonna be what you're gonna look at. Um, you can't even go by who's number one, number two. It's gonna be who Carson Wentz trusts, who he's gonna get the ball to. Um, Hilton, yeah, you know, if you want to be safe and, you know, put your stock in Hilton, uh, if you want to be a big-time gambler, I, I think it's a, a, a idea to draft Pittman in the later rounds. Maybe you get a, get a guy who gets you 700, 800 yards receiving for the simple fact that, you know, he was low man on the total pole last year. Um, but obviously franchises like getting younger players more involved, get them on the field a lot a longer. Obviously, it's hard to be a wide receiver, and especially a rookie wide receiver in the NFL. We already talked about it earlier this year, this uh, podcast about how they have to read defenses just like that. So, can I see Pittman kind of having a, a step up here in his second year and being that that guy? Yeah, I think it's worth taking a chance on in your fifteenth round of the draft or twelfth round of the draft. But other than that, I'm with you. I mean, smart pickers for their wide receivers. And I think moving on to talking about Wentz, the, the thing to look at then is going to be the tight ends between uh, Doyle and uh, Ali Mo Cox. 
Trey Burton's gone. So between the two of them, they would have averaged about 10 fantasy points per game. And Wentz has a history of utilizing tight ends between that Goddard and Ertz uh, pairing he had in Philadelphia. So I think if you had to pick a pick an option in the whole receiving core, I think I would uh, take Ali Cox as a, uh, a sleeper tight end. What, what would you do? I treat him like I would. We talked about Atkins earlier with the Texans. Yeah. Um, he, he, he's probably on that level. You talk about he's not going to be – Obviously, uh, George Kittle or anything like that, or Darren Waller, he's going to kind of be one of those guys who's going to get you 400, 500 yards at the max, maybe get you about five touchdowns. You're kind of looking at that from that um, that standpoint. Maybe more if Cox, uh, if uh, Wentz really loves him, then he might get a bunch of uh, targets going his way. Then maybe you might want to think about that. But, I mean, you're in the late rounds. You're looking for a tight end, probably a tight end too. Uh, he's worth rolling the dice on. Yep, I agree. Uh, on the defensive side, the Colts had the third best in terms of fantasy points per game, which I, I didn't even realize that their defense was that good. Um, so they averaged 8.8 fantasy points per game behind the Rams and Steelers. So that's definitely a team worth taking a, a, a risk on because they didn't lose anything. Uh, they lost their two defensive ends, and they may have replaced them in, um, like I said, in Quiddy Pay. But I think the thing to look at is, do, do they bring Justin Houston back? If they bring Justin Houston back, I feel a lot better about that defense. Um, against bad teams, they put up double-digit points, essentially. So that's one of those teams where, depending on the matchup, against, you know, they play Jackson Houston twice a year. Uh, I think I, I would consider taking the Colts' defense just for that alone. All right. Next, let's go to uh, the Tennessee Titans, Alex. So here are the big headliner, which we've already talked about recently, Julio Jones. Uh, that's kind of the safe, safe thing to talk about. Uh, additions. So we've already talked about it. Not going to really beat the dead horse, but me and Alex, we talked about Caleb Farley. Big potential. Could be a top five talent in this draft class if he stays healthy, um, which is after last year when they had their first round pick, you know, with those issues and they essentially let him go. Um, that, that's kind of a big concern taking a gamble two years in a row. So hopefully it works out. And then the tackle at North Dakota State, Raddins, um, you know, big potential, but questions because he didn't play against top tier talent. So, in terms of draft, there's a lot of potential and a lot of question marks. Uh, on the free agency, Alex, what did you have in terms of what the Titans added for additions or trades uh, on that side? Well, obviously we talked about uh, Julio, but the big part of thing on defense, they signed Bud Dupree. Um, now, Bud Dupree was hurt coming off an injury. He got hurt last year for the Steelers, but um, he was definitely a good pass rusher. The question is going to be, and he make all his pass rush because he had a wad on the other side of him or because he's really that guy. So he's going to be the guy on that team to get the double team. So we're going to see really quick whether or not he's worth that money they gave him. And then obviously uh, they signed Janoris Jack Rabbit. <laughs> That's his nickname, Janoris Jenkins. Um, he was productive um, last year to a certain extent. Um, the thing about Janoris Jenkins, he's probably going to have to step in and kind of be one of the, the – the starting cornerbacks on that. And then you talked earlier before about Danico Archery, them selling him from, you know, their uh, Colts. So those are a couple of little, some small, some big kind of signature signs that's going to kind of help them out, especially if they need help on defense. Yep. Those, those are pretty much the additions I was tracking also. In terms of losses, what do you have for uh, who the Titans lost? And who they lost? Obviously, Corey Davis went to the Jets. Uh, Corey Davis was an amazing wide receiver, but he was a nice comparable number two they desperately needed. 
I'm surprised they let Johnny Smith leave. I don't know whether or not he was just asking for too much money that they couldn't afford or whether, but Johnny Smith kind of um, came out of nowhere, kind of being that that tight end, that starting tight end there. Um, then uh, I'm not going to say it's a big, but they lost really their whole secondary. They lost Malcolm Butler, Dory Jackson, and Desmond King. They traded for Desmond King in, in the regular season, but they obviously didn't resign him, and they lost Kenny Vaccaro. So they lost a lot of the guys on defense, but the thing about it is their defense wasn't really good last year. So you kind of take that with a grain of salt, especially talk about Clowney. They spent all that money for Clowney, and he didn't even get a sack all last year. So obviously they needed to uh, to get better on defense. So, yep, uh, yep, that covers it uh, for the additions that you like the most. I think really quickly, I you know you already mentioned Bud Dupree. That's the one I like the most. They. Uh, they were 24th in allowing uh, points per game. They were 24th worst at points per game. They gave a 27.4 points per game. The Titans had the third least sacks. They only had 19 sacks, and they had allowed the fifth most yards per game at 398 yards per game. And just like you said, Alex, they let their whole secondary go. Their top three corners are gone. Vaccaro's gone. Uh, you let a lot of people go, so they had to add something. Bud Dupree in the 11 games he plays, he had eight sacks. But like you said, man, I'm really worried that uh, – Playing outside of opposite JJ Watt or TJ Watt is very different than Harold Landry, um, who who's great at fifty-seven out of one hundred eight edge rushers. It's going to be very different. But I think between Dupree, Autry, Simmons, and Landry, you have four above-average people that can get after the quarterback. So maybe that's the way that they're looking at this in this three-four system that the, the Titans are going to run. Is that you have four people that can maybe get you eight sacks, which is very Big improvement over last year, and they're 19 as a team. So that's the move I like the most is Bud Dupree just trying to, I think, have a balanced pass rush attack. What, what about you? What's your uh, addition you like the most? I like Caleb Farley. Um, I loved him in the draft. I think he's got um, top cornerback potential. I know right now people talk about cornerbacks. They name everyone throws out there is Jalen Ramsey. He has Jalen Ramsey potential. Um, obviously, the big red question was his health. Could he stay healthy? Um, but I still think Tennessee, they stole him in the later rounds. They could possibly have maybe a top five player in the draft going that, that far down. So especially the fact they're going to need cornerbacks, obviously, because they lost their whole secondary. But I, I, I love the player. And I think he's going to be great for them. Is there a move you liked the least that they made? Um, well, not made, but I like to say John U. Smith leaving them. That that yeah. one kind of shook my head, especially how they like to play. They like to play with tight ends, uh, kind of similar to what New England does. And then also they love to run the football. You run the football, you need a tight end. So uh, I thought I, that kind of I was shocked when the, the Patriots stole it. I didn't like to know. I don't know what the situation was with. You know, he didn't want to be there or something like that, or maybe he thought he was a, a better offensive option. I, you know, I'm not really big into that situation, but that one kind of had me kind of scratching my head of like, what the heck are you doing? I think they trust Anthony Ferkser that much that they let him go. But at the same time, when you have a dominant running uh, running team, I think having two good tight ends would be better. Kind of, which is exactly what the Patriots are doing with their two good tight ends that they're gonna have with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith now. So. Um, yeah, I agree with you on that. For me, the big the, the move that I like the least was letting Adoree Jackson go. The, the move came out of nowhere. He was still on his first uh, his, his, his entry contract. He was set to make $10 million in the last year's contract, I believe. Yes, he only played three games. However, in 2019, I, when you when you talk top corners in the league, Adoree Jackson's name was there. He was, he was 
a part of the top corners in the league. So to let him go and to trust Janoris Jenkins, who, you know, like, you know, who's a, who's a average above average corner, but then you have Caleb Farley being asked to start right away when we don't know if he really medically will be able to start right away. I think that's a huge gamble to take on, on the Titans. How, how often do elite corners come around and, they must know something about Dory Jackson, let him go about to just cut him and not get anything in return to me is kind of crazy. Um, so I did not understand it or did not like that move at all by letting Dory Jackson go. I think it's a huge gamble for a team that needs uh, as much defensive firepower as they can get. Moving on to uh, fantasy, Ryan Tannehill. He was the number ninth ranked quarterback last year. However, I think his ceiling's going to be kind of limited based on the first run first approach in that team. And Alex, do you think Arthur Smith leaving is going to have an impact? Because every time I hear of an offensive coordinator leaving, I think of Kyle Shanahan leaving the Falcons as offensive coordinator. And then kind of everyone talking about Matt uh, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, how they had their peak years with Kyle Shanahan. Do you think uh, that Arthur Smith leaving could have any impact on Tannehill's numbers? Um, it's going to be a learning curve, obviously, when you lose your offensive coordinator. You get yourself in a rhythm and how the play calling – especially from a quarterback to offensive coordinator because the offensive coordinator kind of lets the quarterback know this is what we're looking for in certain situations. So it'll be an adjustment for Ryan Tannehill, but the the more changes if you change systems, and I don't believe they're changing the system in particular. So they're going to be running the same offense and everything. You're just going to have a different mind on it. So there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a curve, but it's the same thing. You got Derek Henry back here. You should be fine. Yeah. And Tannehill, so he didn't even throw for 4,000 yards last year. He had 33 passing touchdowns, seven interceptions, but he rushed for seven touchdowns last year, which I don't think people were tracking. So um, as the number nine quarterback, do you think he's going to be better or worse? Because I actually think he's going to regress a couple spots. I think he'll be in the closer to the 13-14 area. I think he's going to be in the 20 area, to tell you the truth. Um, and it's uh, and uh, you, you look at his numbers. His numbers isn't really anything to golf at. You know he's got thirty three touchdowns. I think, and then also the rushing touchdown. So you're you're looking at that. I don't think they're going to score that many that many points. Any um, now, obviously with Julio, you would think okay, the offense is going to be as good. But uh, I I could obviously see him scoring in that many touchdowns, maybe a tad more yards, but because he throws it more. His interceptions is going to go up. So I wouldn't be surprised. He goes from seven interceptions to 14 interceptions. Yeah. Um, moving on to running back, Derrick Henry was number fourth running back in terms of fantasy points per game. Uh, and that's only if you count McCaffrey's three games he played. So he, he could, I guess, maybe be number three technically. He's going to be 27 years old. So I think most running backs, you would start to say, hey, they're in decline. But, you know, he's a four five runner. He's not a four three, four four runner. So, you know, speed's not his game. It's it's power. Um, for someone that runs the ball a lot, it doesn't seem like he takes a lot of wear and tear though, because it, it I don't think he's the one getting hit ever. It's always someone else getting hit. So I think this year he'll be fine, but to expect him to run for two thousand yards again and seventeen touchdowns, um, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. And a lot of the projections out there, which obviously is just a projection, have him running for about I think sixteen hundred yards. So do you think he'll be better or worse or the same as a number four running back? Because I think he can hold his own and be number four. I just don't think he'll be as many points, but I think he can still be the number four or five running back in fantasy football. What do you think? See, this is one of those conversations we have about analytics. 
For instance, we all have heard about the running backs having the dreaded 400 touches. Well, Derrick Henry had 378 yard uh, attempts and he had 19 catches. That puts him at 397 touches. Um, are we saying that if he had carried the ball, caught the ball three more times at 400, he's going to become a worse running back? Um, I don't think so. Um, but he had such an amazing year last year. It's just hard. I mean, he was a 2,000-yard rusher. Um, now, obviously, you have to also come to the fact, we talk fantasy, the fact that we got an additional game. So he has an additional game to get to his yards. Um but as far as the the attempt per game, he's at five point yards attempt per game. He's not going to be there. Can he be at five? Yeah, that's doable. Four point eight, four point nine, more reasonable. Uh, and then also you have the fact that they get um, you don't trade for Julio Jones and not expect to throw a little bit more. So I can see his attempts go down a little bit. Maybe be at 300, 325, Maybe be like where you say sixteen hundred. I say he's going to be a top ten running back. I don't see him being a top three or two or something like that. Yeah. All right. With wide receivers, um, between AJ Brown and Julio Jones, is there a better duo in uh, in in face football, Alex, between than those two? Well, you know I'm gonna say Dallas. <laughs> I guess if, I mean they will be throwing I mean Dallas may be throwing a lot, so Yeah. Yeah. Depending on yeah. how their defense comes together. So Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tampa Bay's got a pretty good uh, uh, core right there. Uh, you have to always throw the Rams in it just because based off their system. Uh, Gross. And then the forty and then the Forty Niners. Yeah, um, wide receivers. Yeah, there are two wide receivers that ain't gonna be nothing to scoff at. We still need to figure out is Julio done. That's gonna be the big question. He's been injury prone for the last couple of years. Can Julio get to back to where he he is? And as AJ Brown make that step to be one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL. That's yet to be seen. A.J. Brown was the number six fantasy wide receiver last year, which is uh, is kind of crazy when you think about what he works with. Uh, he has low targets uh, for, as a number one wide receiver. He only had 70 catches. That just shows how big his big playability is on, on just running his slants and breaking off for touchdowns. Um, but at number six, I – I have him regressing to maybe around number 10 just because Julio's there. I think it's going to be a little more balanced. I have a hard time seeing all these yak uh, plays happening as much as they did last year because they did happen a lot last year. Uh, and it's not very, it's not as much balanced of an attack. It's, it's literally Derrick Henry and two wide receivers. And if anyone gets hurt, there's going to be a massive drop off. So either way, I have Brown around number 10. Where would you put him? Would you, because if being number six last year. I, I put him at 10. I think his number-wise, I think there's a chance his numbers will probably be in the same ballpark, um, obviously. Uh, I think he'll still be a 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, the only thing difference is that Tannehill, I think, is going to have to throw the ball a lot more. Their defense was bad last year. I don't foresee their defense being any better this year. Um, I think they're going to be a top 10, top 5 offense. And then obviously, you have somebody like Julio Jones, you just have that feeling – He'll come to the office coordinator and tell him to give him the ball. You're going to want to throw the ball more now. I don't know whether or not that means that A.J. Brown's not going to have 70 catches. He'll have less. I mean, his catch rate, when they threw it to him, was 66%, which is pretty doggone low for a guy you feel is a top 10 wide receiver. Um, but I, I think he's going to regress as far as that. Um, but I would be surprised if his numbers are similar to the same. Um, but I, I don't think the TDs are going to be there. 
Yep. Uh, and for Julio, Julio finished 14th last year, even though he was hurt. He had 16.2 points per game. Uh, of the nine games he played, he had double-digit targets in four of them. So, you know, obviously he's not going to get these double-digit targets anymore, Alex. I, I kind of have a hard time believing that. And I have him finishing around 20 um, for Julio. What do you think about that? That sounds about way. I'd say he would he'd still be a top 25, 30 wide receiver. Um, but, I mean, he's not going to be the focal point of the offense anymore. The focal point is going to be Derrick Henry. And we're talking about how bad their defense is. If Derrick Henry is a Derrick Henry and they have to throw to stay in games, then you'll see him get get some balls. But um, you also you got to ask the question, who's going to be lined up in the number one position? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if A.J. Brown is lined up in the number one position. Uh, I know Julio got traded for, and they're going to probably try their best to try to re-sign him, and they didn't re-sign him, but – I wouldn't be surprised A.J. Brown is the guy who's going to be the number one option on the passing game. So uh, I, I don't see Julio getting nowhere close to that. All right, and the tight end. So they lost Jenny Smith. Um, they keep Ferkser. If you combine their two numbers together, they average about – they would have 80 catches, 800 yards, and nine touchdowns, which to me is a pretty damn good tight end. So I think the common thing that we're getting at with uh, – with AFC South is there's, there's potential in tight ends. I think of all of them though, that he is the one that I think will have the biggest jump. Uh, I, I would almost say that I would have him as a top 10 tight end just because he's not currently have as much competition for catches. Uh, what do you think? I don't know if he's going to be top 10. Um, you look at kind of how he was throwing off of John New Smith. He kind of looked like, man, maybe he needs to be playing more than John New Smith. Uh, so go back to what you were kind of saying about him, you know, about them letting John Smith go and maybe thinking he's kind of the future. Um, they're going to probably end up, you know, we talked about the double tight end situation. So obviously, you know, they're still going to split tight end um, catches and different things like that. I still think we already talked about the, the, the division as a whole. I think he's going to be right there with someone like Fells um, or somebody like um, like any of the other tight ends in there in the division. Um, I think it'll be a 300. I think he had 387 last year. Would it be a surprise if he goes to 500? No, not really. Um, but you expect him to type the touchdowns to go up. So if you're looking for like a low end one, maybe a high end two, as far as fantasy is, is considered, he's worth taking a, a, a flyer on, especially that their offense is going to be booming. Yeah, and uh, PFF actually had him as the seventh best tight end in all of football. So I think there's uh, just a lot that we probably haven't seen with him that maybe he has a he has the potential to break out. So um, in terms of defense for fantasy, uh, stay away from the Titans. They were seventh worst in football. I gave some stats earlier of why, and this leads back to the AFC South has three of the four worst defenses in fantasy football. So stay away from them, uh, which looks good for the Colts because that means that offense can feast on all those terrible defenses. All right, Alex, let's, uh, let's talk some over unders and let's make our predictions for the division. Um, do you have the over unders for the teams? Yes. Um, I have the Colts at 9.5 wins over under. All right. So I, I have the Colts winning 11 games this year. Um, when I was looking at their schedule, they have, I believe, let's see, what was it, like six games? Um, 
they have five games that are easy win games and they only have six games that are, they play against playoff teams. So I think, uh, I think they can win easily at least 10. If, if obviously it's a big on Wentz, but I, I think that it could happen. The, their schedule is kind of brutal. The four, the first five, they get the Rams and the Seahawks at home, which hopefully will allow them to split. But then they have some tough games after that. Uh, but yeah, for me, I have the Colts at going over on that one. What about you? Yeah, they're um, because the division they're in, and really the side of you know they're in the conference AFC. I think the worst of teams are in the AFC. It have to be two of them in their own conference. They're gift wrapped about six wins, and and now you're looking at trying to get to at least ten or eleven wins. Um, I would go to over. I definitely go to over. Obviously, I'm going to go ten wins. I'm not going to go up to maybe eleven, um, but I think they're solid enough to at least get ten plus wins. I mean, the good thing that they have for them is they get the Seahawks and Rams at home, so they don't have to deal with those because those two, they drop games on the road when they go out east. Those are two teams that are very good at home, but when they go east, I'm a little worried about them. Uh, week three is at Titans. Week four is at Dolphins. Week five is at Ravens. So I think if they survive and win at least two of the first five, I think they are set up to run kind of almost run the table the rest of the season. They do play the Bills and Bucks later on, but outside of that, their schedule is very winnable to win out possibly. Uh, what what do you have next? Which team? You got Titans at nine wins on the dot, over under. Yeah, I put I got the Titans at eleven wins. I I have them both at eleven wins again. The same thing that they play essentially the same schedule. So I, I think the Titans have about five or six games that they should win. Now both these teams had a terrible loss last year between the Colts and Titans. The Colts week one lost to the Jaguars, but like Alex said, week one's kind of your week which you can maybe be like, okay, we're still figuring some stuff out. But the Titans lost the Bengals like week eight or nine by 11 points, like something that should not have happened. So um, even though someday these are winnable games we're talking about, things do happen. Um, but I, I have the the Titans at 11, 11 wins. Um, they have a tough schedule here uh, where they, they go, they have the Bills at home, they have the Chiefs home, then they play at the Colts and they play at the Rams. So that's kind of a, those four weeks will kind of, to me, determine on how good this Titans team really is. So I got I got 11 wins. What do you got, Alex? I'm going to do a push. I got them at nine wins. Uh, I know they're going to be gift-wrapped in a certain amount. But I think when the Colts and the Titans play, I don't think they're going to split. I got the Colts beating the Titans twice. I think the difference last year was I think they split. Uh, that's why they kind of went, you know, 11 wins, 11 to 5 each. But yeah, it's all split. Yeah, so I think this year I think the Colts are going to sweep them. Um, the Titans' defense really scares me. I, I think they got some amazing play last year out of Derrick Henry. He was a 2,000-yard rusher. I don't think he's going to sniff that. Um, I think it's going to have to be on Tannehill, and I don't know if Tannehill has the ability, especially when they get down, especially if a team jumps up on the Titans early in the first quarter or the first half and Tennessee has to throw their way back. I don't know if they have the the – they got the firepower, but I don't know if Tannehill's built that way. So I, I got them at that push at nine wins. Yeah, the the thing that scares me with the Titans is like is that run defense. And they play some dominant running teams. The Colts have a good offensive line and run. The Seahawks run. The Cardinals have a mobile quarterback. The Bills have a mobile quarterback. The Chiefs have a mobile quarterback. The Niners will just run down your throat if you do not stop them. They, these are all teams they play. The, the Patriots have a, you know, they want to run the ball and inflict pain with Cam Noon. So there's a lot of running 
uh, threats to the Titans when on their schedule. And it does worry me. And that's why when we saw these picks with everyone taking the Titans or the Colts, I get the sexy picks. You know, that's what kind of what we talk about. It's the sexy pick. But when you come down and look at their defense with who they have on their defense kind of right now and the question marks they have, and they're almost like the Rams to me, where in certain positions, there's such a huge depth issue. You know, Tannehill, Julio, AJ Brown, Ferkser were all top 10 at their position. But behind them, you have Jeffrey Swaim at tight end. You have wide receivers I don't even know for Tennessee anymore. <laughs> uh, you don't have Mariota backing up in Tennessee. You haven't had him for a couple of years. It, there's a lot of question marks in Tennessee's if there's any injuries. So that, that scares me. Uh, what's the next team, Alex? Jacksonville. We have a 6.5 wins over under. 6.5? That's actually more than I thought it was going to be. So I have Jacksonville at five, but would I be surprised if they won a couple more? No, I wouldn't. But I, I would take I would take the under on this one because I actually have them listed with five five wins. What about you? Yeah, I think they're. I'm gonna take the under. I, I got them like at like six and eleven. Um, they're gonna be playing Houston, and the question between Jacksonville, Houston's, the Jets, the Bengals, those types of teams are gonna pl- end up playing each other a lot. Kind of who's gonna be the worst of, of the teams, and uh, I think that you know that that's the, the gonna be the big question. I don't see many teams that I can definitely chalk up and say, hey, the Jaguars are going to go in and they're going to win this game. There's no guaranteed games in the NFL, and specifically when you're a bad team like Jaguars are right now. They're probably going to be get, get good here in the next couple of years, but right now, as far as talent-wise, there's not many teams that they're as good at or better than. So um, I think six wins to me is their max. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a one or two win team, but I, I'll, I'm going under on that one. Oh, uh, Alex, write this down right now. After week four, they will be three and one. There will be all this hype. Uh, Tim Tebow, Jerry Rizzi's will be selling like hotcakes because he'll have one receiving touchdown in the first four weeks of the season. And then they will go on a massive losing streak after that. So the first three, the first four games, Texans, Broncos, Cardinals, Bengals, they have a chance to win three of the four, a chance. After that, season's over. Titans, Dolphins, Seahawks, which is at Seahawks. Bills, Colts, Niners, eh, Falcons, okay, whatever. Rams, Titans. So their season's done at week five. I, I To me, the, I, the first four weeks of the season is when they uh, determine who they are, figure themselves out, and then, man, they have a tough schedule. I, I, that could be one of the toughest runs of any teams that they have to play. Uh, in terms of schedule. So I, I just think that just looking at the schedule, that's really tough. Uh, and last is the Texans, Alex. What do we got for the Texans? we got four wins for your Houston Texans on the dot over under. I have uh, two. I put I put down them winning two games. <laughs> so um, which two? I don't know. I just feel like they could split with Jacksonville maybe. Um, and this, of course, is the whole – situation with Deshaun Watson like if you're crazy and you know something bet a couple hundred dollars on them going over because if he's playing they can win five games that's easy because I mean between uh they have you know the Jaguars Panthers uh Cardinals Patriots could be a winnable game they play the Jets 
Uh, Jacksonville, again, the Chargers could be a winnable game depending on how they develop. The Niners, if they're hurt like they were last year. Uh, so, but I, I have I have the under. I, I think that's I think the Texans have so much to overcome. Um, I do hope they win more games, but I have them at two wins, Alex. Okay. This is what the question goes. Are the better saying they think that Houston is going to not have their quarterback? If not, I can I can see them not winning a game. I mean, personally, they they could be that bad. Um, yep. But with Deshaun Watson, we have such a great player, and he could just make so many great plays. I wouldn't be surprised if he played the whole year. They get five or six wins because they. I think last year they were the worst team in football. It's just that they had Deshaun Watson, who absolutely played out of his mind last year and got him four wins. Uh, but they probably and then also they won the division, so they had a harder schedule. So maybe with an easier schedule and Deshaun Watson playing a whole year, maybe you get two or three extra wins if they were last year, just because he's just a, such a great player. Um, but it's one of those things. Hey, if he's playing, I'll take the over. If he's not going to play the year, I'm taking the under. And also with this, also have to in fact in the trade part of it, so he could get traded. So. Not just being suspended, but being traded to another team. So um, that's also a, another chance that he's not playing this year for the Houston Texans. So um, I, I'll take the under if he's not playing. All right, Alex. So the last question now is going to be: If you had to determine the division and who's going to place where, what would you have? I, for me, I have the Colts winning the division, the Titans second, the Jaguars third, and the Texans fourth. What would you have? I have the exact same thing, um, <clears throat> especially with the NFL doing the uh, seventh team in the playoff. I can see the Titans making the playoff still, not winning the division. But right now, I got the Colts as the, the class of that team. I think they're well coached. I think they're solid on the defensive side. Uh, I, me and you think highly of Winston. Most of America is mainly based off of media hype and different things like that. I think Wentz is going to be back to where he was. He's going to be a top 15 quarterback, and that's all they needed, just just comparable quarterback play. They're in such a bad division. Um, it's winnable. I think they're going to be it. Tennessee's defense just scares me. You tell me they're a top 15 defense, I'm with you, but their defense just scares me. Yeah, if, if they can be a top 15 defense, I, I think they could be a 12-13 win team because I don't think they need much from their defense, but – yeah, I, their defense scares me, and that's the only reason why I think Wentz, Wentz just has to be immobile Pip Rivers, which I think is possible to do. Um, they're a very balanced offensive team, so I don't think they have any weaknesses, but they don't have any any obvious superstars. So I think it's hard to game plan for a team like that as uh, as a defense. So, um, you know, they and they have three great running backs. They have four above average wide receivers. They have two above average tight ends. I mean, they have a great offensive line. That's that's a great recipe for success, I think, on offense. But all right, so I think that wraps up our AFC South. We'll, uh, we'll get to another one next week. So, um, Alex, any last comments before we wrap this up? Yeah, um, Cowboys are going to be on Hard Knock Life, um, the Hard Knock Show, just announced this morning. So, um, I thought, I think, I don't think anyone has ever won the Super Bowl being on Hard Knocks. I think there's a team that won the Super Bowl, and then they went on Hard Knock Lives. But I don't think there's ten the team that has ever gone on Hard Knock Lives, Hard Knocks uh, with, on HBO and actually won the Super Bowl that year. Um, so, 
Yep. We uh Continue. chalked that up to uh Dallas not winning the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> I feel like you're trying to do the reverse right there by uh being the he hasn't missed a field goal in 18 attempts. Like that's what you're trying to do right there, and, and then it changes. <laughs> nice try. Um so thanks for listening, guys. Episode 24, uh NFL talk. And every week we're planning on pushing out a uh, different division with some talk and conversation. We'll be posting things out in the group and page for you guys to follow along with us. So Thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, have another episode next week for you guys.